Hey everybody, this is Josh Runquist here for the Heavy Briefings Podcast, along with... The Metal Fairy. And we're already eight episodes into the show. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't believe this. Four-fifths of the way into ten episodes. Crazy. Uh, yeah. Trying to keep the spirit a little alive and well right now as uh of course <laughs> as you know by now as long as we've been doing the show yes. we're gonna be starting some things off with some po- disappointing news then we're gonna be getting into some more uh debatable stuff that's gonna be going on uh, of course i'll be showing the metal fairy three random songs she'll be hitting me up with a what's your problem we'll be talking about our him ha feeling behind aew all out yes and some more stuff that i don't want to give away unless you look at the timestamps. exactly so why don't you start this one off yeah so i mean like you alluded to it wouldn't be the heavy debriefings podcast unless we bring the heavy <laughs> so <laughs> let's start out with some sad news there were a couple celebrity losses this week first up mr margaritaville himself jimmy buffett mr cheeseburger in paradise yes jimmy buffett yes did he ever find his lost shaker of salt i'd like to think so i mean or did he find it in heaven maybe but either way it's, it's obviously very sad that he is no longer with us um i know he was enjoyed by many many people around the world so super sad with that and then i had to back in my cover band days i yeah. had to cover margaritaville Did ad, you? ad nauseum that's hilarious i can't see you doing that <laughs> Yeah, and then I don't know if this is part of the Jimmy Buffett live experience or something like that. Yeah. But there was always uh, like this part during the chorus, like "Where in the hell is my goddamn salt?" that they that I've we added. Never heard of. Them but I've, I've heard of other bands doing the exact same thing. Oh, really? So yeah. I don't really understand that, but yeah, uh, yeah it was like always during the last chorus. <laughs> Yeah, I can't say I've ever seen a cover band do that song, so I've kind of avoided that, so I'll take your word for it. Um, And then up next, we just heard earlier today that Steve Harwell from Smash Mouth passed away. And we did hear just yesterday that he had gone into hospice. He's been having some health issues for a while now, um, liver failure due to that. And unfortunately, it sounds like he lost his battle today, so... Yeah, and not just, unfortunately, liver damage, but unfortunately due to excessive alcoholism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which, of course, can be something that leads to liver damage and liver failure. Right. My brother was someone who also drank heavily, a part of many of the problems that he experienced. Yeah. And I know uh, they talked about how he, during his whole system failure, that he was having liver damage and kidney failure and all these different things that were going along with it. Yeah. while I can't say either of us are Smash Mouth fans. No. Um, and also I'm not a fan of the way that uh, Mr. Harwell uh, conducted himself uh, when it comes to his alcoholism or any of his other beliefs in life. Yeah. It is very sad for everyone that's ever enjoyed his music. It's sad for friends and family. Absolutely. And it's also just a reminder that if you feel like that you're having a problem with any kind of substance, or if you, you know, just like a, a rounding thing that we always talk about here, maybe it's a, a mental thing that you're going through as well, too. You know, there's there's no shame in asking for help. Not at you all. You don't always have to suffer alone. Absolutely. And, you know, if for, for any reason you feel like that you're hurting others by your actions or... Or 
if anyone comes to you with an intervention or mm. sometimes you just need to talk to someone one-on-one and just be able to shoot the crap with each other and just be able to get through the day there's nothing wrong with that absolutely oh just to share one kind of happier note on steve harwell i i remember back in the day i don't know how many of you watched the surreal life back in the day but he was on one season i remember he was on there with cc deville from poison who i love i love poison along with Tawny Katane, uh, Sherman Helmsley, uh, Florence Henderson was on that season, and I can't remember who else, but it was it was pretty funny. Do, so. do you remember what season that was? Was that like oh, two or gosh. three? I'm I know it sure. wasn't one. No. One was, is iconic. It was at least a few seasons in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I always remember All-Star being played all the time yeah and and to bring things back to my brother because he loved trying to fit in he bought the smash mouth album astral lounge (laughs) which is the one with all of their hits on it outside of the covers because that's how they finished off the other part of their popularity was uh, doing a lot of covers especially for the shrek yeah i was gonna say especially for shrek so shrek is a cute movie so the Uh, first one yeah yeah that's (laughs) the only one i've seen so (laughs) but obviously some sad news for the week but (sighs) moving on from that Yes, hopefully the rest of this uh, won't be as much death, but I do feel like things might be going into a different direction for the show. Yes. Yeah, so with it being September now, we are taking advantage of the almost fall season. Uh, All of September and October, we will be having some Halloween content on every single episode. Because I love Halloween and I want to share that love with everybody who listens. (laughs) Yes, almost every topic here is curated by the Metal Fairy itself, and I'm along for the ride. Even though I enjoy horror, I will never be the horio, uh, the horror, <laughs> horio, horio. Yeah, they can take that many different directions. I will never be the horror aficionado that the metal fairy is, and that hopefully. Is true. Over the, over the month and change, we'll be able to explore all the different ways that uh, we show off your horror knowledge talent. Yeah, so along that lines, we're going to start off with a little what's your problem. And this time you're on the hot feet and it's horror Ooh, movie. Ow, ow, I, can, I know, is it burning you? Yeah, it's starting to. Ooh, so it's horror movie related. Yes, it is, uh, from what I understand. So if you don't know Josh very well and his uh, kind of feelings towards different types of horror movie antics, he is not a big fan of the jump scare. So I gotta ask you, what's your problem why don't you like jump scares i think they're the laziest way to get a heightened uh feeling out of someone it's the it's the cheapest scare that you have it's it's the pun or the alliteration joke of horror movies in my opinion where anyone mm-hmm. does it and you know just to do a little freddy foreshadow for something i'll be talking about later yeah uh let's take phil brooks who happened to star in his own horror movie phil brooks who's phil brooks again uh cm punk okay for the wrestling fans cm yeah. punk yes uh who starred in his own horror movie. Um, you know, a lot of people will say a lot of things like uh, CM Ripoff or CM Hunk or <laughs> uh, other things that we can't really say without uh, being Chip demonetized. Punk. Yeah, it, well, it is Chip Magnet Punk, but, yeah. uh, you know, it's just like um, when they're trying to talk trash about him, they just use his name huh? to talk trash. Huh. That is how I feel about the jump scare. It is just so easy, so lazy, and so overused. But if it's effective, does it really matter? How effective is it really? I think it's pretty darn effective. People jump from movies and jump scares all the time. No, they're startled. That's not yeah. scared. Sc- well, that's not the same emotion. It's not the same feeling. It can be for some people. First South of all, South Park did an excellent expo 
expose on the difference between being scared and startled in the episode where they have all the giant hamsters take himself apart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if you've seen that one. I can't remember. Uh, Randy has a camcorder and he just keeps talking about how he's not scared, how he's just so startled from all the jump scares of yeah. hamsters take her. So, uh, first thing I will say is they can be the same for some people. I think startling somebody puts them in a situation where they're more easy, easy to scare because you're putting their nerves on edge. And if your nerves are on edge and your feelings are kind of all over the place, you're going to get scared a lot. So it kind of sets them up for that kind of stuff. I, I can see you're wanting to say something. Yes. And <laughs> I guess it depends on the situation as well. Like yeah. what the story is. Is it a slasher film? Yeah. Jump, jump scares can be effective in that way. Okay. But if it's a movie that's about characters and what they're actually going through and they're actually trying to tell like the old story that's going on yeah. and not trying to scare us, I, I feel like the jump scare is just so overused, so contrived, and so overdone. What do you mean not trying to scare us? It wouldn't well, be no, a, no, a scary movie then. No, like you're watching the character go through horror, not necessarily us. Okay. And I do feel like there is a difference because there's some movies that are meant to scare us. Yeah. Some are meant to watch the horrors that someone else is going through. I guess I don't see many of those movies with jump scares them. It, it happens. Okay, well, you'll have to... And also, the other problem that goes along with it while it jumped my mind is the fake jump scare. Meaning? Oh, you know, like a, a friend or a family member, you know, like, boo, ah, thing, and then they have the orchestral yeah. strings going on there. It's like, ah, don't do that. You you startled me. You scared me. <laughs> and, and then it happens <laughs> later in the movie. It's so predictable that it's going to come up again. Sure, that sure. takes away from any amount of fear or scare tactics that are used that try to make me scared of watching the movie. For you. Yeah. Yeah. So which is the problem, which is what's well, my problem. Your personal problem. But yeah. I mean, you're kind of, you've always kind of been vocal about them, kind of against them in general. Yeah. Because but they're they, so overdone. Sure, sure. But if they do work for other people, then I mean, they're still doing their job of scaring people. And then let me preface this by saying, I don't get scared by movies really at all, whether jump scares or other type scares. I've oh, there's never... been plenty of mo times we went to the movie theater and you're gripping my hand pretty hard. I'm just trying to be cute. Oh yeah, you say that on the air, but so <laughs> oh, there. Oh, you know I don't actually get scared. <laughs> but um, if it works for other people, if it gets people into the right date where they can get even more scared, then I think it's doing their job, you know? Is it overused? Sure. Is it easy? Sure. I'm not saying it's like the ideal type of scare, but if it still does a job. In words of Prophet Vincent, don't... <laughs> <laughs> don't go away mad. Just go away. That's how I feel about jumps. And you don't even need to go away completely either. That was a deep pull right there. That, that, well, it's because I want I want them to go away and then come back. You can't, like we talked about in wrestling, and boy, yeah. this will be coming up later. Sure. You can't miss something that doesn't go away. Okay. If you're expecting jump scares in every single movie, yeah. how effective is it? it? It becomes less effective if you're expecting jump scares in every movie that you see. I mean, I guess And when I, it's so overdone, you expect that. I don't. I mean, it might happen, but I don't go in with, like, those kind of applications. I just think you're an overthinker, so you do go and take One overthinker to another, I guess we're going to have to agree to disagree Cheers. on that one. <laughs> But what about you, folks? What about you? Do you like a good jump scare? Do you, do you think that they're overdone? They have a time and place for others, but isn't it maybe not for you? Let us know in the comments down below. Exactly. And in speaking of things hopefully not overstaying its welcome, we're going to be doing <laughs> my favorite part of the show, which is my musical roulette for the me Metal Fairy. Where, if you're checking this out for the first time, I pick out three completely random songs... And I want to hear the reaction of the Metal Fairy, because either she loves it, or she really hates it. 
And <laughs> a lot of times I've been noticing over the years, she also goes like, meh, it's fine. Meh. But you'll never know unless she hears it. And just to switch things up from what we normally do, we picked out a song that I haven't even heard before yet. <laughs> uh, completely missed this album completely and fully from Nita Strauss, uh, someone that I've interviewed in the past, uh, to uh, not really raving reviews. A lot of people miss that interview, but uh, I digress, as Taz would say. <laughs> um, it is a new song called The Golden Trail, featuring Anders Frieden of In Flames fame. Now, as... First of all, what is your opinion on Nita Strauss? Um, I mean, honestly, I don't really have much of an opinion. I know she plays with Alice Cooper. Um, and Demi Lovato. Yeah, yes. Sorry. I, I can't forget Demi, of course. Um, <laughs> and that's about it. Like, I mean, I've heard pieces from her, but I've never really been, you know intrigued or pulled to listen to her any further than that so well fair enough well yeah. what what did you think of the golden trail so the verses very much felt like she tried to write an in flame song well when you have the singer of in flames i mean that makes a lot of sense I, I, yes and no i mean i guess you want something to like be uh appropriate for his voice but at the same time i mean you know do you you know what music are you making don't try to make other people's music um and then as far as the chorus it was just kind of very generic, radio-friendly, but with a little bit of a kind of a genty beat to it sometimes, and it's not really my thing. I mean, I, I'm not saying it's terrible. I'm not saying, you know, some people out there won't enjoy it, but it's not my thing. Yeah, I was really kind of thrown off by this song in yeah. particular. Like, I don't mind the In Flames influence because I... I kind of feel like, uh, considering the track list on this album, I imagine that everyone that she pulled in for vocals is a song that's kind of inspired by the band. Yeah. And that might be the point. That could be. The chorus is really threw me off because Anders does not have the voice <laughs> no. for the the notes that Nita's playing. No. Especially when it came to that last chorus and the key change. Yeah. It's like he almost tried to hit some falsetto that Anders is just not capable of. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that, I don't know. I thought that key change was really unexpected at the end of the song. Um, I don't know about that. I kind of find key chains to be the most anticipated kind of overdone thing in music. You know, it's like, you know, it's going to happen. You know, eh. Hey, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, going back to our previous conversation, if you didn't catch on to that. <laughs> but I, I, I will say one other thing, like... For a guitar player's album, I felt like the guitar was lacking. I mean, where was the guitar solo? Where was the, like, I don't know, like, super memorable guitar part? <laughs> like, it was just kind of background noise. Yeah, that, I mean, that is one way to look at it. And to be fair, we haven't listened to the album. I mean... Yeah, no, this yeah, is this solely came, off the one song. Yeah, and it came up completely random as well, too. Yes. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I can't talk about the rest of the album but for this song like i get the in flames worship and you know good on you for doing that but i don't think it's a song i'm gonna be going back to yeah uh next up here in a completely different direction mm -hmm. we have my so-called life star jared leto and his <laughs> band 30 seconds to mars yes. with probably my favorite 30 seconds to mars song i know that's debatable for some people especially for those who J uh, hate jared leto completely yeah. but it is the song Attack, the first song off the album A Beautiful Lie. Now, how far back do you go with Jared Leto? Oh my god, I love Jordan Catalano. Oh, he's been a dreamboat since I was a teenager. 
Is he still a dreamboat in your he eyes? He is. Oh, and Morbius. Oh, girl. Even with the sex cults that uh, he has in real life, and I, you know what? Do you? <laughs> but no, um, I've yeah, I've been a big fan of Jared Leto since I was a young younger lady myself, and mainly his acting career. I think he's an amazing actor. So if you don't like his acting, I don't care. That's you know, that's on you. Your loss. Um, he's an amazing actor. Um, as far as his musical career, I loved this album back in the day, and I still love this album. I haven't really followed with, uh, up with 30 Seconds to Mars since that or before that, but I do love this album. Well, I've shown you songs since then, yeah, and uh, they've all been wretched. <laughs> like, this is the last rock, almost metal album that they did. They went into the real indie pop, indie rock style after this album. And yeah. uh, they did the Inflames thing where they're using children's choirs all the time. <laughs> and just like, it's, it's, it's got awful. <laughs> I will say, even as much as I love my satanic black metal and brutal death metal, yes. I love the first two 30 Seconds to Mars albums. Yes. And I will actually be controversial in this household and say that the debut album is better than A Beautiful Lie. Okay. It's more metal. It's heavier. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like the the songs aren't... It's more unexpected and more futuristic, whereas this album is a lot more mainstream, which of course is the point. I mean, look what happened because of this album. Yeah. I can't blame them for doing that. And there's some amazing songs off this album as well, too. Yeah. I, I don't even have a problem with Bury Me. Like, no. I, I think it's a great song, and I used to cover it when I was playing at home mm-hmm. and uh, just uh, playing along with the radio all the time. I used to play that song all the time. You mean The Kill? Well, it's The Kill, <laughs> and then in parentheses, Bury Me. Yes, yes. <laughs> you can't catch me on that one. I know this song all too well. <laughs> but no, um, Attack. I, I think it's the best song off A Beautiful Lie. It is a great song, yeah. Um, probably the heaviest song. They start off with the heaviest song, which is a, a very strange way to go about a album that's supposed to get the modern rock route. But mm-hmm. yeah, I've always enjoyed the album. I, I enjoyed the first two albums, and I wish they would have kept going in that route before Jared Leto uh, decided to get into cults. What do you think about his acting? I haven't seen enough of his work to hate him. You've seen Morbius. You've seen Requiem for a Dream. Yes, yes. You've seen Suicide Squad. Sure have. Besides Suicide Squad, how do you I, feel about I will actually DCC? defend the 2016 Suicide Squad Jared yeah. Leto Joker by saying that they cut out so much of what he did yeah. that we don't really know if he sucked or not. Yeah. The, s- the edit of the movie sucks. Yeah. Well, the movie sucks. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, yeah. you can't blame a bad movie on the actors. No, you can't. So, I think a lot of people just kind of have... Uh, it in their mind that they can blame people for whatever they don't like, and this is not it, you know? Yeah. Get over yourselves. And the movies that I have seen that he has been in, I have enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Even if I do have to go, it's Morbin time once in a while with Morbius, <laughs> but... If you've seen Requiem for a Dream and you think Jared Leto sucks, I, I don't know what you're looking for in a movie. <laughs> you do not know what good acting is. That is an amazing movie. Heartbreaking. But it is an amazing movie. Oh, don't worry. Well, uh, sometime, probably next year, because, yeah. you know, after Halloween's done, we'll be getting into the holidays and stuff. But, yeah. you know, things could change. Yeah. I'm sure we'll be talking about, like, our top ten el- or, uh, movies that make us cry or just oh, our top yeah. ten movies in general. Whatever Absolutely. the case is. But, yes. You know, if just give the first two 30 Seconds to Mars albums a chance. Yeah. And I recommend you actually going back and checking out the debut album. Yes, I will. And third is another little softball for you, but it is a band that I want to talk about because it's a band not enough people talk about. Yes. It's a band that you actually showed me back in our early days of Mm -hmm. uh, going together. And I teach you things once in a while, too. I know. Who would have thunk (laughs) it, right? 
it, it's, it's not just the man mansplaining bands. Uh, he, you're able to show me stuff as well. Yes. But uh, the perfect blend of power metal and black metal combined. Yeah. It is the band Brimmer with the title track off their latest album from last year, Voices in the Sky. An album that if you would have checked out my top 10 albums of 2022, whether I did the original list or the updated list from back on my birthday, mm-hmm. you'll know that it has been in my top 10 every time and actually moved up. Mm-hmm. And if I was to do it again a month later, you'd be up even further again. <laughs> but what is your thoughts on Voices in the Sky? Yeah, so I, as you mentioned, I knew of Brimmer before you. I've been a longtime fan of theirs. They're just such a good mix of, like you said, kind of the black metal, the um, kind of power symphonic almost metal with a lot of folk elements thrown in too. Kind of a good mix of clean and harsh vocals. It's just it's just a mix of everything you could possibly want. And this, this album's no exception. I will say it took me a little bit longer to appreciate this album just because I think back when I first heard it, there was so much good music at the time that it just somehow fell to the, the side a little bit. But I've definitely come to love it so much more since then and it's amazing yeah i couldn't agree more and although it hit me initially like right away it's like i knew this was going to be at least top 20 if not higher yeah Uh, I might even argue it's like top five of last year and is becoming one of my favorites in the uh, black metal slash power metal slash folk (laughs) symphonic elements. Yes. (laughs) Like, even though they wouldn't have fit together, a Brimmer Falconer tour would have been so cool to see because they both combine those kind of elements, but they're Mm -hmm. just different enough where people wouldn't get bored. Yeah, that'd be a nice mix. Yeah, even though Falconer, of course, is no more, just like in the song. Sadly. And hopefully Brimmer will not uh, soon be no more oh, i want them to be able to keep going them. <laughs> i need more brimmer yes. i want them to be announced at prog power next year not that we're going <laughs> not that we're going and not necessarily that uh they wouldn't uh, have to bow out for uh, undisclosed circumstances <laughs> yeah. but, but i if, just want them to come to america well and if point. they made it maybe they'd be able to do a tour as well give yeah. us some hope <laughs> see that's why i wanted them for prop power because yeah. instead of us driving 16 and a half hours <laughs> we might drive 25 minutes exactly. and be able to see them exactly. and minnesota with this style of music that'd mm, be a good show it would be so that's our musical roulette for this week uh, again this is my favorite part of the show because <laughs> you have no idea what what's going to come up next and especially this week i had no idea what we were going to be checking out yeah so up next as we kind of alluded to earlier we're going to be having some halloween content on every episode uh whether it be a top 10 list or just kind of a discussion of some of our favorites of certain things and this week we are going to combine our love of halloween and horror with our love of wrestling and we are going to be discussing some of our favorite wrestling matches and moments that are perfect for halloween watching yeah this is going to be really fun because uh i definitely know it's true of you and it's true of me uh we both have a shared love of of early day Undertaker before oh, he became yeah. the American Badass and <laughs> yes. uh, of course uh, his uh, right-leaning stuff that we learned about later but <laughs> we we go back you know like 25 30 35 years ago now yes and really enjoy what he did in the early days of his WWF career yeah. just after his WCW run as Mean Mark Calloway <laughs> yes yes never forget the, the ginger <laughs> man himself oh. but uh, you really wanted to do this one because you know 
it's it's great because with wrestling it can be campy it can try to be scary oh, absolutely. it's got a little bit of everything it's yeah. that great theatrical feel behind it mm-hmm. so we decided to do things a little bit different this time around we didn't really do a top 10 yeah we just want to go over our favorite moments yeah we kind of started with a top 10 but we're gonna have so many kind of overlapping each other that we figured better just to kind of have a looser discussion around it so i'll get us kick off Ooh. okay so i'm just gonna start with my favorite and it's it's kind of a couple different matches and moments and stuff because it just it is it's the whole undertaker versus yokozuna feud <laughs> we'll go with feud <laughs> So back uh, prior to the 94 Royal Rumble, Yokozuna, who was being managed by Jim Cornette at the time, I remember he had signed up a contract for Yokozuna to fight the Undertaker. But somehow that Paul Bearer, the sneaky guy who represented the Undertaker, found a loophole and was able to turn that match into a casket match. And I believe this was the first casket match, or actually there might have been one before this, but I don't think it actually ended with the casket closing it into like a pinfall instead or something like that. Um, But from the beginning, the fear you could see on Yokozuna he played it off so well and like as a I was like probably 12-ish at that time like seeing it on him he he just built the tension so well and it made you legitimately scared for him because he was terrified of the Undertaker terrified of being like enclosed in this casket and then as they kind of built upward the match um they I remember they would do scenes where the Undertaker was building this extra large casket because the if you're not familiar with Yokozuna he was um kind of made out to be like a sumo wrestler type type character and so he was he was a rather large guy <laughs> and the fear on him was just constantly building so then they finally had their first casket match at the 94 royal rumble um it didn't end how we thought it was going to i mean we we're kind of all like, i should say <laughs> i was um pretty convinced that the undertaker was gonna win but uh, un- uh yokozuna got a little bit help from people so brush diesel adam bomb uh, jeff jarrett i think of the head shrinkers as well they all came out and helped the under or probably helped yokozuna get the undertaker Taker uh, into the casket. <sighs> so then, uh, so obviously Yokozuna won, but then they're, as they're pushing the casket away, all of a sudden um, the lights go off and on the Titan Tron, which is big screen if you're not familiar with it, uh, comes up a video of the Undertaker in his casket. <laughs> and <laughs> he starts uh, talking about how he will not rest in peace and basically that he's coming back and stuff. And then on the Titan Tron, it shows up this image of the Undertaker, almost kind of like in lightning form, and it starts rising up and like this at the time I thought it was the real Undertaker but obviously it was just like a fake Undertaker emerged from the top of the Titan Tron it was like the coolest thing you could ever see <laughs> um so that was that match and then they had one other match uh, later on that year at the Survivor Series when he came back yes so he was out for a while and we'll touch a little bit on while well, he was out at, in another moment later but Ooh. um when he came back so they had another match and Chuck Norris was a special enforcer if you remember that <laughs> oh yeah survivor series 94 yes it was a fun match i remember chuck had like a standoff with king kong bundy and jeff Jarrett tried to get involved again uh, i think chuck norris like knocked him out too and stuff with a roundhouse kick yes yes but eventually the undertaker did come out victorious on this fight yeah what are your thoughts on yeah. that one yeah uh, yokozuna finally went the casket yes an oversized casket as well too yes <laughs> but no um i think it's one of the my favorite feuds in early wwf um uh, of course 
course, I was scared crapless by The Undertaker. Like, every time I was on there, that was some real fear-inducing that had no uh, jump scares whatsoever. It was just The Undertaker being this ominous presence that just felt like he could take to the grave at any time. And when you have someone like The Undertaker uh, battling someone like Yokozuna, who was just, like, scared as just as much as I was of him and yes. doing everything that he could to <laughs> defeat him, you know, it just, especially for someone of my age as a very little kid back in 94 and mm-hmm. I was a kindergartner in 94, that whole feud just worked perfectly for me because yes. it was the right amount of fear for a little bit. Absolutely. So what's up on your list? Well, I'm going to be talking about uh, one that happened roughly around the same time, okay. although 27 years ago. Yes. Uh, much, much campier. Mm-hmm. It is uh, the, the feud with uh, Hulk Hogan versus the Dungeon of Doom in WCW. Oh, yeah. Um, Kevin Sullivan, of course, was a charge of that, but uh, it also had the, the Yeti. It had, uh, uh, well, he was Earthquake in WWF, but he was the shark in WCW. <laughs> uh, Kamala was in, oh. in the group as well, too. <laughs> But, uh, yes, I actually did hit my stomach for a fact. <laughs> but uh, the whole feud would just had, like, all these different vignettes and uh, different segments that just was, like, dark and spooky. It was the Diet Coke of The Undertaker at the time. <laughs> it was, like, it was meant to be scary, but it just wasn't scary enough. It just came off really, really campy. But it all led to this pay-per-view match at Uncensored 19, or, well, it was 27 years ago, so that mm-hmm. would be uh, 96? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Uncensored 96. It was the Doom Doomsday cage match, which was three levels of cages on top of each other. <laughs> and it was Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage, nice. a posthumously star of WrestleQuest, <laughs> Uh, taking on three different levels of people here with uh, Lex Luger, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and the Dungeon of Doom. Now, the whole point of this was you had to beat the first team on the first level, you had to defeat the second team on the second level, (laughs) and you had to defeat the third team on the third level. Oh, that's great. And it was all meant to be like all these different like horror aspects and everything. And it got more and more scary as you got to the top, especially when you get to the third level on top of cages and uh, you had the Dungeon of Doom up there and just like yeah. seeing them try to be all scary and stuff like <laughs> as a as a little kid in 96 yeah i was a little bit scared of all that stuff that was going on as well too but yeah. looking back it's just so campy and you know even though i'm not a fan of hulk hogan over the years and uh he has me blocked on now called x which makes me uh, quite happy <laughs> um yeah just uh seeing what was at the time my two favorite wrestlers hulk hogan and randy savage battling evil battling the darkness battling horror to come out on top and they did of course because (laughs) as we learned over the years hulk hogan always made sure to not lose yes so i should have saw that one coming a mile away but it was just a great little horror feud that was going on that involved voodoo that involved spells that involved all this different horror campiness it was it was a b horror grindhouse for (laughs) wrestling and I'm, I know you're not familiar with it, but I no. think you need to check it out just for the giggles. Yeah, no, I, I don't remember seeing it anyways back in the day, but I know you've talked about it and it, it sounds like a winner. <laughs> <laughs> so what what about you? What's next? So for me, uh, it is The Undertaker versus Mankind's Buried Alive match. Yes. And obviously they've they had quite the feud in a lot of matches, infamous cage match as well. But for me, uh, it was the 96 In Your House cage match. So prior to this, uh, Paul Bearer had betrayed the Undertaker because at SummerSlam there uh, he was in a match and the Undertaker was going over to Paul Bearer to if you're not familiar with the Undertaker he got his power from the urn that uh, Paul Bearer carried around. Let and us have our fun. Exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> you like movies? It's just like this. Exactly. <laughs> he went to get some of his power and Paul Bearer turned on him and held mankind instead. So uh, that kind of set this all up. But it was, uh, like I said, a buried alive match. And it, it wasn't like some of the fake ones they've had done this. It was like a full on pile of deep dirt that they had to put the other person in and cover them completely with dirt in order to win this match. And they even had a headstone with both of them on it. And it was such a creepy setup to begin with. Um, a lot of the fighting took place like right around the uh, the hole, I guess. <laughs> I'm yeah. trying to think of the right word for it, but the hole. Um, the gravesite. Yeah, the gravesite. Um, just like beating each other with uh, the shovels, uh, just kind of knocking each other around in the hole too as well. And of course, the entire time, Mankind is like doing his squeals, which makes it all the crazier because he just seemed like completely, you know, out of his mind. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, eventually, The Undertaker won. However, some shenanigans happened after that because Goldust, Triple H, The Executioner, they all came Which out. Which is Repo Man, by the way. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they all came out and actually then ended up burying The Undertaker. But then, wait, there's more. more. The lights go off again and there's a lightning flash and all of a sudden, the hand of The Undertaker comes out through the dirt. <laughs> you know he's coming back for more. <laughs> and of course, uh, if you haven't gathered, uh, I was a youngin during this whole uh, early 90s uh, yeah. going into the 2000s. Apologies for that, folks. Uh, we had some screaming children outside our door. But yes, uh, this was the scariest match I ever saw as a kid. And I thought the whole thing was completely and utterly real. When I was a kindergartner in 94, I thought that uh, basket match was the scariest thing I ever saw. Mm. Just wait a couple years. <laughs> And then seeing a Buried Alive where I really thought one of them was going to die. Yeah. Well, and I was middle school age at this time, so I knew that wrestling wasn't real per se. Like, I knew it was predetermined. But, like, still, when you're putting somebody in a pile of dirt and covering them with this and stuff, it's hard not to feel like it's real. So, like, my, like, still slightly young, impressionable mind was like, oh, my God, they're going to die. <laughs> yeah. And you don't want to be all Wizard of Oz and looking behind the curtain and seeing exactly. how it was all made. You, you want to escape into it. It, which is the point of the joke I was making earlier about yeah. let us have our fun. Yes. It's happening in front of us. It is theater. It is ballet. It is with sweaty men, meat slapping meat. I don't care. It's enjoyable. <laughs> to me, it's live action superheroes yes. when I was a little kid. That's how I looked at it and it was fun for me. Absolutely. Whereas this match was the scariest thing I ever saw in my life. I thought yeah. I thought for sure Mankind was going to be buried alive. Yeah. And no, it was that swerve and the Undertaker and the lightning struck. Well, man. Mankind was first. No, yes, he was. Yeah. But then the Undertaker and the mm -hmm. lightning struck and the hand came out. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, that reminded me so much of Adam's family values at the very <laughs> end when the hand comes out of the grave and grabs the little kid that uh, has a crush on Wednesday and he just starts screaming and she just has this giant smile on her face <laughs> as it happens as Aww. the movie fades to black. But yeah, that was a great horror Halloween moment. Arguably the most underrated of all the Undertaker stuff because mm -hmm. every Everyone talks about Undertaker and Mick Foley, Hell in a Cell. Oh, for sure. No one talks about Buried Alive. No one. Yeah. And I would say the Yokozuna ones are pretty underrated. Oh. In time, they yeah. absolutely have been. Well, what's up next for you? Oh, of course, I have to talk about WCW once again, because when it comes to all of the campy horror stuff that I love, not of the, the current age, but back in the WCW days, it yeah. is the Chamber of Horrors match oh, from oh, Halloween yeah. Havoc, 1991. And yes, it, it, this 
entire match is just absolutely bonkers if you don't know if you're not a wrestling fan if you don't know old school wcw <laughs> just listen to what this match is uh sting el gigante which of course is giant gonzalez of wwf fame yes. with that feud with the undertaker where uh, El, uh giant Gonzalez beat the undertaker at wrestlemania 9 using chloroform yep but uh yeah sting el gigante the steiner brothers rick scott diner well before steiner math uh versus abdullah the butcher the diamond stud which of course is razor ramon cactus jack which of course is mick Oley, and our one of our collective favorite wrestlers big van vader yes now this is known as the chamber of horrors match where they had this very unique style cage where it was like a steel cage but then like at the very top part was slanted and there was a big hole in the center there's a big hole in the center because that's where the uh the electric chair came through <laughs> and dropped down into the middle of the ring and there was a power supply connected to the cage now what was going on here was there was a lot of different weapons that was going on there chairs tables baseball bats all these different kinds of stuff but the whole point of the match was you had to get a member of the opposing team into the electric chair and flip the switch to yeah. electrocute them to death <laughs> old school wcw folks oh yes so between very very bad wrestling from wrestlers who are just big and opposing and can't actually wrestle like abdul the butcher that's why he did so much death match stuff especially with the fork yes el gigante who can't wrestle he's just huge <laughs> And so many other things. Basically, what happened was Cactus Jack, Mick Foley, was hanging around by the switch waiting for Rick Steiner to be electrocuted. Yes. Now, through some role reversal, everything got switched around. Cactus Jack wasn't looking. And Abdullah the Butcher got put into the electric chair. And then all of a sudden, he just heard someone landed in the chair. So, flipped the switch. <laughs> and Abdullah the Butcher was electrocuted to death. <laughs> Ending the match. Now, of course, he didn't really die. In fact, Abdullah the Butcher, as of recording this, knock on wood, is still alive. Yes, yes. But they had to stretcher him out. He mm -hmm. fell out of the stretcher a couple times and then just ended up walking into the back <laughs> through the entranceway. <laughs> ending one of the worst matches in early WCW history. The whole thing was just freaking bananas from start to finish. And yeah. if you just love things falling apart with a horror aesthetic, I implore you to look this up on YouTube. <laughs> or if you have Peacock, go on the WWE Network and look up this match because it is well worth the investment. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I never saw this back day, but you've shown me it since then. And it is, it's a glorious mess. Like it's, it's a debacle, but it's so enjoyable. <laughs> uh, and speaking of potential debacles, uh, what do you got next for this? Yeah, so up next, I have, it's not a match, well, it was leading to a match, but um, a moment, shall we say, between The Undertaker, again, and The Ultimate Warrior. Oh, yes, and uh, I got some stuff to add to this one as well. Yeah, so in the lead up to a match they were going to have, um, I believe it was on one of the su uh, Saturday morning shows, Paul WWF Bear Superstars. Most likely, yeah. Mm -hmm. So Paul Bearer was having a little uh, skit in his uh, mock funeral parlor, and The Ultimate Warrior went back there to talk to him. Well, while they were talking in, uh, back there, the Undertaker came in and they had a bit of a fight and the Undertaker ended up lock 
blocking the ultimate warrior in a casket um at that point all the, like the referees and the back officials and stuff like that came to try to get him out because they're uh on commentary um let's see at the time it was mcmahon it was uh roddy roddy piper and um savage they were all making such a point that it was an airtight coffin and he wasn't going to be able to breathe in there and they needed to get him out and they were playing this all that he was stuck in there and he was a second away from dying and so all the officials are out there trying to pry it open with pry bars or um sorry uh, uh iron bars which crowbar crowbar thank you <laughs> <laughs> um they have like nails and hammers they're trying to make holes in it they're just trying everything they can and finally after like a couple minutes struggle they finally get it open they find the ultimate warrior passed out the top of the coffin is like tore apart like he was trying to scratch his way out of there and then they make it seem like he needs cpr so they start doing the chest compressions and they put the mask on him for air and like finally he wakes up <laughs> like they made it out like the ultimate warrior was dying and like as a child because this was back in 91 so i was like probably nine years old at that time i thought for sure the under or, uh, the ultimate warrior was dead <laughs> Yes, and also in that feud, I don't know if it was before, I don't know if it was after, but I just remember the match so vividly thanks to Coliseum Home Video. When I was mm -hmm. a kid, I would constantly re rent wrestling tapes, the Coliseum Home yeah. Video from my hometown, always three bucks a piece at time. And I don't remember which Coliseum Home Video it was, but I do remember the match so vividly of The Undertaker versus The Ultimate Warrior in a body bag match. Oh, yeah. And it scared me so much because, again, I thought whoever was going to be in there, it was going to kill them because they were yeah. going to suffer just yes. like the coffin exactly. the casket. <laughs> and kind of the same kind of thing the undertaker eventually put the ultimate warrior in the body bag uh. but what happened was the ultimate warrior got the strength from the moon and the stars <laughs> and all those cocaine rants that he did while he was he was doing his early wwf promos yes and he started shaking in the body bag and he ripped it apart and he was just like he, he barely escaped with his life yes and that was always one that like put the fear of god into me as a little kid because <laughs> seeing someone put into a body bag i thought that meant that they were dead forever yeah yeah that whole feud i wish more would have came out of that i wish that would have been a pay-per-view match mm. but oh that was so much fun to watch as a kid yes <laughs> Uh, so, for me, coming up next, uh, if you haven't noticed, I'm going with more of the campier stuff. Well, uh, you're focusing more on the supposedly scarier stuff. Right. I have to go with one of the campiest things of all time. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Delete. 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 Yes, it is Broken Matt Hardy versus Jeff Hardy in the original deletion match, the yes. final deletion. <laughs> Probably my favorite, although the third deletion match where all the tag teams from TNA that were a part of it might be my favorites of all the deletion matches. Yeah. Uh, don't count the AEW ones. They're abysmal. Yeah. But uh, the, the original three deletion matches are so, so campy. They and are. so, so much fun. Yes. So much fun with insider references to wrestling <laughs> and everything but the, the whole idea is that um, wrestling superstar Matt Hardy started breaking on the inside mentally and he became this ultimate form and uh, inspired by true blood of all places but uh, he, he's kind of like this like universal vampire controller of the world and everything that's how he's able to win matches mm -hmm. and Jeff Hardy wanted no part of that even though they were <laughs> even though they were brothers and tag team partners for so very very 
long, well before they were ever into actual professional wrestling, and they decided to have a complete half-hour-long pre-recorded match known as the Final Deletion, which took place in the backyard of the Hardy, uh, Matt Hardy's house known as the Hardy Compound. Yes. Filled with a shed with a real professional wrestling ring where he mm-hmm. trains, mm-hmm. and all these different things that I don't want to spoil if you look it up yourself. It is up on YouTube. I implore you to watch this match to just see how ridiculous it is of all these different uh, flying objects and fireworks and uh, uh, all these mannerisms that are just so ridiculous that is meant to be scary but it just comes off as so campy at the same time (laughs) the first time i ever saw this i was in my i can't watch wrestling anymore phase yeah i watched it and i thought it was the dumbest thing i ever saw in my life then when we got back into wrestling we watched it again i thought it was the greatest thing i ever saw in my (laughs) life because everything clicked for me yes yeah if you're not a wrestling fan you can enjoy this if you're a wrestling fan you can enjoy this Uh, unless you're like a real diehard uh, i only watched wrestling from the early 80s type wrestling you'll find something to appreciate about the whole original trilogy of the deletion trilogy but easily start with the final deletion not just because it's first but it might yeah or if you're jim Cornette. yes (laughs) i was trying to say jim Cornette without saying jim Cornette. but yes no what's your thoughts on the final deletion yeah i remember when you first brought it up to me and i thought it was just gonna terrible 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 just sounded so stupid but yeah i mean once we got more into wrestling and kind of started appreciating um everything going in on and wrestling now and for me like i didn't really grow up like the hardy brothers at all so well that was after your time kind of yeah yeah um yeah yeah i I didn't have that appreciation for them so i didn't even have even have that going (laughs) (laughs) but eventually i came to love it It, 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 it's completely off the wall and crazy but it's enjoyable it kind of let your mind go free yeah again it's like a b-horror grindhouse wrestling go go into it with that mentality and you'll enjoy it exactly now do you have some more oh i i yes absolutely So the next thing I have is another moment um, involving The Undertaker and Dolph. So uh, back in 96, uh, Diesel was having a title match with Bret Hart at In Your House. And The Undertaker decided we merge from the wrestling mat, like through a hole, (laughs) um, to, to come after Diesel. Um, this kind of led into a kind of a back and forth thing with them. The night after that, uh, while the Undertaker was out having a match, Diesel in the back room was went and destroyed the Undertaker's casket. <laughs> um, and then the the one that really kind of stood out to me was uh, Paul Bearer. While Diesel was having a match, he rolled out a coffin, and Diesel came out of the ring, opened it up, and Diesel was it. <gasps> I know, I know. And I mean, so from since then, I've heard that it was actually a dummy in there, and like when they did close up it was actually shot earlier in the day and it was Dill himself laying in there but um <laughs> either way as as a, a younger teen uh preteen whatever it was at the time I totally thought like it was like this like diesel remake of him and it was like the creepiest thing in the world <laughs> No one talks about the Diesel Undertaker feud no. at all. And I, I remember that so vividly as well, Ben. Yeah, I mean, that whole run where, like, Diesel was a uh, heavyweight champion. Yes. A lot of people, like, looking back, looked at it as one of the worst uh, reigns in WWF oh, history. And no. there, there's reasons to accept that, like, uh, Diesel versus Mabel is one of the worst heavyweight matches <laughs> ever made. I understand that. Oh, but Mabel. when he was facing the Undertaker, yeah, like, it had a lot of legitimate fur behind 
behind it. Yeah. It had a lot of, you know, it's like, yeah, the practical effects, whether it was like Dummy, a mannequin, or Dizel, later known uh, <laughs> later known as Kane, who ha- who played the fake version of Diesel yeah. at one point in time. Whatever the case was, that was a really legitimate creep. Yeah, well, and especially when you take somebody like Bell, who's so like big and strong and just kind of a tough guy and stuff, and you can kind of portray him as being kind of scared. Like, oh, okay, yeah, this is scary. <laughs> yeah, just like the under or just like Yokozuna as exactly, well. Exactly, exactly. Which uh, also reminds me, the exact opposite. Do you remember the casket match between Undertaker and Goldust? Oh yes. Yeah, with the golden caskets yes. and everything. Yep. <laughs> Goldust is underrated. I don't oh, care what anyone yes. says. Yes, yes. Um, this next one I have is not a match. It's not a moment. It's a faction. Okay. And it's a faction that, if things are to be believed, is possible that we could see again at one point in the future. <laughs> With the best theme music in WWF Attitude Era, it is Edge, Christian, and Gangrel. <sighs> The brood. Yes. The vampires from hell. Yes. Always coming out from the stage from a inferno ring of fire. <laughs> Gangrel with his goblet of blood that he would drink and spit into the crowd. Edge and Christian just looking like the 90s version of the Lost Boys. Oh, yes. They were so hot on... <laughs> And then the ravages of age happened. Yeah. You know, Chris, Christian isn't bad and still, but Edge, oh, oh. Yeah, those really sunken cheeks. Yeah. But, uh, and Gangrel still fanging and banging to this day. <laughs> oh. <laughs> if you don't know that reference, uh, the fanging is to the vampires and the banging is due to him being a director of adult entertainment. <laughs> But we can't really talk about that here. No. But no, just that group, just like I, they came around at the point where I wasn't scared anymore, but I just thought that they were so cool. Yeah. I love the music. I love the whole aesthetic. I thought they were the coolest team. Yeah. And I was so disappointed when Gangrel traded Edge and Christian for the Hardy Boys. Yeah. In the new brood. Yes. Now, here's a lesson for you. If you put new in anything with wrestling, it's going to fail. The new generation of WWF, the new brew, the new Rock and Roll Express, the new Midnight Express. Yeah. All of them fail because they put new on there. It's like the new Coke. There's a reason why it failed. It's not as exactly. But yeah, what are your thoughts on the brood? Yeah, I loved the brood. They were just the cool goth boys that I was in love with. My, I mean, mine is girl. I thought he was cool, but um. hey, come on. <laughs> that said, I, I will share one that I have that going off of this just to, for a little quick side shoot. One of the matches I absolutely loved was the brood versus mystery. Oh, yes. Uh, so if you're not familiar with the ministry, it was Midian, uh, Viscera, and uh, the Undertaker. And during this match, um, uh, Midian and Viscera kind of led the match, and then the Undertaker finally came out in, and he hung Gangrel off the side of the uh, ropes. <laughs> yes. Although I need to do a little bit of a sidebar when it comes to that as well. Yes. Viscera is Mabel after he got transformed by the yes. Ministry of Darkness. Yes. And Midian was Phineas Irwin uh, Godwill of the Godwill Brothers. Godwin. Or, or Godwin. Yeah, Godwin Brothers or Cousins or whatever. But I remember so vividly, so vividly, yes, both. Uh, (laughs) The Undertaker transformed him by grabbing his head, face face claw style, (laughs) from this day on. You will be known as Midian. Yes. <laughs> and then later he became naked Midian. Oh. Where all he wasn't completely naked, but he started wearing only a G-string in the ring. Jeez. Oh, I missed <laughs> and if that. And if you've ever seen his body, you do not want to see that. <laughs> 
I'm pretty sure it was a rib. Yes. But uh, my next one, uh, going in a completely different direction, because I feel like we're going to end talking about Ministry of Darkness eventually. Uh, but um, this next one is the most recent, okay. I believe, of all the matches here. And it's not even, again, really scary. Yeah. But I just love it so very, very much. Between two now current AEW and Ring of Honor client or er, talents, between Orange Cassidy and Stokely Hathaway. <laughs> Now, I forgot what uh, wrestling company this was for, but it was completely shot ahead of time. It wasn't live in front of a crowd. Mm -hmm. They started wrestling in a boiler room, and then they ended up wrestling on top of a parking building. Uh, All these different things that were going on to fight each other, and they were supposed to be having like this really campy, creepy atmosphere behind it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, great moments where uh, Orange Cassidy accidentally throws Stokely Hathaway's cell phone from the top of the parking garage. (laughs) I am so sorry. I am so sorry. And then he like tries to kill him. It's so funny. <laughs> But my absolute favorite moment is when they're going from the elevator from the boiler room up to the park uh, ground level. And although it's funny because like they were going up, but they were acting like they were going down in the elevator. <laughs> and Stokely Hathaway is like, welcome to hail. <laughs> then Orange Cassidy's just in the corner. What are you doing? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> just like one of the most evil sinister laughs that you just can't help but laugh at. Yes. It's an eight minute match. It, it's, it's just something that's so stupid, but it works so perfect for both of them because of the way that they uh, control themselves with their characters and who they are in the ring. Yes. What do you thought? What did you think of that match? Yeah, it was hilarious. I mean, they're they're definitely familiar characters. <laughs> You're not familiar with them. So it was it was hilarious seeing their interactions with us. Absolutely. What do you got? So up next for me is the early on part of the feud between The Undertaker and Kane. Um, I, I feel like eventually it just kind of got silly and bleh. But early on, so if you're not familiar, um, Paul Bearer, again, who represented The Undertaker, um, informed The Undertaker that when The Undertaker was a youngster, he burned his parents' mortuary, which ended up killing his parents and his brother. But his brother didn't die. His brother Kane was still alive and out there and had been living in fear from all of this for so many years. <sighs> So, eventually, Kane came out one time and attacked the Undertaker at Hell in a Cell. It's gotta be Kane! It's gotta be Kane! Exactly. And so, Kane, if you're not familiar, like, he is this huge guy to, like, the Undertaker. And at the time, he was, like, had a a face covering because he was so burned from the fires as a a youngster and just looked like this crazy horror character. (laughs) Um, So, this kind of spawned the feud between them. Kane interfered in a casket match that Undertaker was having with Shawn Michaels at one point and threw the Undertaker in the casket and lit it on fire. Um, they had a WrestleMania match. Then one of the main things I really enjoyed was they had an Inferno match at uh, 98 Unforgiven. Uh, so if an Inferno, ma- Inferno match sorry, is the ring is surrounded by fire essentially. Um, in this case it ended with him getting caught on fire. So that's how that whole thing ended. But it was just it was just so crazy. Like you'll, even though again, even though at this point I knew wrestling was fake, like but still kind of believing into that story that these two were brothers and one of them had been burned by the other and like it was just two supernatural forces going at each other <laughs> although i will say as much as i did enjoy that inferno match it, it does end with a wet fart because only kane's arm yes it catches on fire that is true that is true like the whole idea of the inferno match was like they were gonna completely be immolated like they yes. were just gonna be completely covered in fire <laughs> But no, it was just his arm. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't quite as bad as when Mockley didn't um, have explosions, like, take him down and uh, he, he was still saved by... Oh, yeah, the barbed wire exploding death match. <laughs> yes. Saved by Eddie Kingston. Eddie Kingston, yes. 
But yeah, I, I remember that as a kid, and I was definitely in my hardcore phase then. Not the music, but yeah. uh, the hardcore wrestling. I was a huge ECW guy by the time that this came around. Yeah. And I wanted to see the full fire. I wanted to see one of them actually be on fire. Oh, for sure. And for when sure. I got the pay-per-view as well, I actually watched it live. And then when I just saw his arm, <laughs> I, I just thought that was so lame. I, I get it. I get I it. I get it was a technicality, and I get, and I also get in real life, you know, it's like, fire bad, fire kill. <laughs> But, you know, when I was a hardcore kid, I wanted to see all that stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. But it was a great feud, and it lasted pretty much, like, almost two decades. Mm-hmm. That love-hate relationship between The Undertaker and Kane, and yeah. and it turned out Paul Bear was the father of both of them, and... <laughs> Yeah, it, it's a weird trip if you try oh, to follow it. Yeah. And the one thing I've learned about WWF over the years is if you pay attention to the storyline, it will come back to hurt you because yes. none of it makes sense. No, not at all. Although, um, okay, I'm going to end my part of this okay. uh, with the last one that I had that wasn't crossover. And I started with WCW. I got to end with WCW. All right. Uh, current AEW star Sting. Yes. Uh, he went from being like the surf rock scorpion guy, mm-hmm. clean cut, buzz cut, bleach blonde hair Mm -hmm. and then a little comic book became a movie known as the crow Uh, one of your favorite series of comic uh, Mm -hmm. movie all of that stuff yes and wcw decided to do just enough not to get sued (laughs) and have sting become crow sting yes that's not the official name he was always sting it's just he's always known as crow sting yeah and he had so many battles he went from uh battling the nwo and then he joined the nwo wolf pack and oh god that's a whole thing but um (laughs) later in near the end of wcw and every thing was uh, going completely bullcrap sane. Vampiric wrestler from Mexico, Vampiro. Yes decided to join WCW and after winning a whole bunch of matches he decided that he wanted to be the world's biggest goth or vamp kid (laughs) depending on how you look at it and he decided to start a feud with Sting in a huge attempt to try to make Vampiro a star which ended up not working well they actually were tagged for a while first Brothers in Pain yes and it wasn't until after Vince Russo came around and started the new blood that turned on Sting yes I I, I left a lot of that out because I wasn't sure how far people wanted to go into but they had so (laughs) many different kinds of matches one-on-one matches uh, different team-up matches uh, hardcore matches but the real match that has any weight to any of this in the feud is their graveyard match (laughs) basically their version of a buried alive match but again legally distinct enough not to get sued by wwf at the time (laughs) now they didn't even have the buried alive aspect to it they just fought in a graveyard yes and this match is so (laughs) god-awful in the best way possible like if you love watching bad wrestling this match is synonymous with bad wrestling (laughs) it's not victory road 2011 of sting versus jeff hardy but this is not too far away from that (laughs) yeah they just it's basically just like a little street fight and then one of them uses a tomb uh one of the gravestones to win the match yes and it's just it's just flabbergasting that they thought that this would go over and make vampiro (laughs) a star uh you not watching wcw at time but uh, going yes. back and watch later yeah. through the wwe network wh- what is what is your thoughts on the graveyard match i have a love-hate relationship with it i mean it's it is a bit of a fumbling mess they're just kind of walking around the the graveyard kind of hitting each other with a shovel here and there um <laughs> that's just kind of an awkward ending <laughs> but at the same time i love both characters so much and i love the setting and stuff too so it, it, it's a love um, <laughs> <Damn> music. <laughs> 
Where's my theme music? People aren't going to know who I am unless they hear my theme music. You ACDC. <laughs> um, going off of this, though, I have a couple uh, matches from Sting Vampiro that I loved as well. So they had the first blood match um, and in which um, a ton of blood fell on Sting at the end. And then they, um, his friends, uh, sorry, uh, Vampiro's friends from the new blood came out and hung Sting in the center of the ring. So that was a creepy kind of ending. Um, yeah, there's a lot of hanging in wrestling in, in the mid to late 90s yeah yeah and then also the inferno match was great this at the end they were on top of the titantron fighting sting got set on fire and then jumped off the titantron like, granted it was a stunt devil we have learned since but um yeah you thought it was sting at the time wait wait if that's not real does that mean when hulk hogan pushed the giant off of that parking garage and then like five minutes later the giant just walked through no that was real. Uh, oh okay yeah. and then let's not forget that kiss demon kind of came out <laughs> of all this as well. The greatest of all WCW <laughs> wrestlers, the Kiss Demon. Exactly, exactly. It's exactly what you think it is if you don't know anything about this. The band yes. Kiss signed off to create a wrestler in WCW and they mm. created the Kiss Demon, yes. whose theme was God of Thunder. Yes, of course. <laughs> Did you have any others on your end? Um, I well, do have Well, since more. you brought up uh, covering blood all over people, this is not a good match. This yes. is a terrible match that we just got done watching and talked about uh, last week or the week before show, I'm going to bring it up again. The Texas Chainsaw <laughs> death, death match oh. between Jeff Jarrett and Jeff Hardy. Yes. Yeah, if you missed out on that show, basically, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the game, is available now on all your favorite modern consoles. But besides that, uh, AEW bought the rights to use that name to create a hardcore horror match in AEW, which is going down as one of my least favorite matches in AEW, although one of my favorite to laugh at, Mm -hmm. where they use buckets of blood, not real blood. Uh, Jeff Jarrett's wife, Karen Jarrett, who uh, left professional wrestler and Olympic superstar Kurt Angle, for Jeff Jarrett just was screaming the whole time you're gonna die you're gonna die and uh, sorry about that uh, lost my train of thought here it was a hot mess is it, what we're it, getting yeah. at it was, it was a hot mess and just yeah and then of course Leatherface came out and chased Karen Jarrett away and she casually walked away and it wasn't even Leatherface as it was a short skinny guy with a chainsaw not a tall fat guy like Leatherface is supposed to be. exactly exactly <laughs> Uh, for uh, just uh, behind the scenes here, when I did the you're gonna die part, I accidentally spit on the metal fairy and I apologize. Okay, well, I'll get over it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a few more things on my end. Okay. So up next is Undertaker versus Undertaker. Oh, yes. So this was um kind of in between the two Yokozuna matches. Undertaker was out for a while and while he was out, um, the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, introduced a fake Undertaker. <laughs> um, They ended up having a match at... Uh, uh, I can't remember where it was at, but basically it was uh, the fake Undertaker who, if you knew what the way he dressed at the time, he had the kind of gray boot, the gray kind of like accessory type things. His best look. Yeah, his second best. And then the official Undertaker had evolved the purple point. So it was purple versus gray. And it was it was so creepy. Because like, I mean, if you're a youngster, you're thinking, what happened? There are two Undertakers actually fighting each other. <laughs> so that was fun. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You missed out on the best part of 
that whole thing. Did I? Yes. Now, for a very long time, when The Undertaker went missing because of uh, being put in the casket and basically like ascending or mm-hmm. whatever that was, Liam Neeson oh, yes. decided that he had to take on the case of where is The Undertaker? Yes. So there were several vignettes over the weeks and months of where is The Undertaker? And in the Naked Gun style, Leslie Nielsen was trying to find The Undertaker and all these horrible shenanigans started happening. He started going all over America trying to find him yes. and in some of uh, the fake non-American places. And then finally he found him at SummerSlam 94. Although he just saw him on the screen, he didn't actually find him. <laughs> But as someone who grew up with Leslie Nielsen movies and especially the Nagon series, that was my favorite part of that. Yes. Um, another thing that I absolutely loved. So at one point, Jake Nake was in the ring and Macho Man, uh, I believe was uh, Vince McMahon. I can't remember who else was on commentary. Probably Piper. And he called out Macho Man and made him come into the ring. I think that was Ventura, actually. I don't think it was Ventura. Are you sure? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um. Anyways, if you're not familiar with Jake the Snake, he obviously used real snakes. In, in a lot of his matches and they kind of get gone to a bit of a feud and he unleashed the cobra snake the king cobra and it latched on to macho man's arm they can get it to let go <laughs> now if that's not horror i don't know what is. yeah that's not a work no that was a shoot that yeah. was that was real the snake yes. would not let go yes and of course they bring out stretcher finally they get it off they bring out the stretcher um miss elizabeth comes running out of horror it, it was crazy yeah, I remember seeing that as a kid, and I didn't know if it was, well, I thought it was real, and then it turned out to actually be real once I learned more about it uh, later in life, and just, mm. ugh, yeah, yes. this snakes, uh, not not a fan. I'm yeah. like Indiana Jones, I don't like snakes. Yes, and then I just have a couple quick honorable mentions. So in the lead up to the Undertaker and the Ultimate Warrior fighting, uh, Jake Snake was helping the Ultimate Warrior kind of prep for this match, and so he lured him into this room and locked him in there, and it was filled with snakes. <laughs> So uh, eventually he gets to the door, he lets him out, he kind of crawls out only to find the Undertaker standing there because Jake the Snake had been working with the Undertaker all along. <laughs> <laughs> and then another one, um, also the Ultimate Warrior, um, Papa Shango, he had put a spell on the Ultimate Warrior at one point and he ended up throwing up like all over the place. <laughs> oh, yeah, Papa Shango. He was one of my favorites growing up, but he was barely yes. on. Yeah. And then he became Kama, then he became the Godfather, then he became the Good Father when right to censor came around <laughs> then he went back to being the godfather and then occasionally showing up in the royal rumble with his blank train because yes. i don't want to, yes. this to be uh, taken off of youtube yeah. we just like slowly get into the ring get thrown over the top rope and mm. then just slowly went back into the entranceway yeah. again he has range <laughs> Now, we have to talk about probably the most quote-unquote scary storyline in wrestling. It, of course, is The Undertaker when he went full-on demonic. That is, of course, the Ministry of Darks. Now, there is so much that goes into this. Uh... Oh, basically, The Undertaker started to make his own little underground acolytes and messiahs Mm -hmm. for him. Like, he would take people that had nothing to do with The Undertaker at the time and possess them to start working for him. (laughs) I mentioned that with Phineas Irwin Godwin and Viscera and uh, the acolytes Farouk and Bradshaw. And as things went along, you eventually learn that there's a higher power bigger than The Undertaker. But we're not going to get to that point yet. I'm going to save that for the very end because that's the most scary scary shock.
shocking thing of all. Okay. But all of this kind of had to do with Stone Cold Steve Austin, where The Undertaker and Stone Cold were having this big, gigantic feud all this time, leading to so many things. And then Vince McMahon got involved somehow. What? Yeah. Vince wouldn't do that. Well, you wouldn't think so, but he was kind of thrown in. Oh, okay. And so was his daughter, Stephanie McMahon. What? Yes. Uh, she started becoming on TV, and uh, uh, I, I remember she was going to marry Test, and then uh, <laughs> <laughs> then she ended up getting drugged and then married to Triple H through a drive through in Las Vegas <laughs> wedding chapel. Then they ended alert. Up, then they ended up getting married in real life. Uh, who would have thunk it? Right? But no, this was on in her early days, and The Undertaker really wanted to scare Vince McMahon. So he decided to kidnap Stephanie McMahon, mm-hmm. and on the next Raw, he was going to sacrifice her to the Dark Lord. <laughs> Yeah, let us enjoy this. Let us enjoy this. <laughs> so who comes to save the day while the while Stephanie is uh, hung crucifixion style onto the Undertaker logo? Yes. None other than Stone Cold Steve Austin, the one that he constantly feuds with Vince McMahon. Mm-hmm. He comes to save the day and he knocks out all of the Ministry of Darkness. He saves Stephanie. He does all of this stuff. Yes. And of course, that leads to the Undertaker versus Stone Cold ending the feud. Mm-hmm. Before we get into who that higher power was what did you think of the whole ministry of darkness so this was later in the 90s and this was not my favorite era of the undertaker i'll be honest but it's the most evil but it wasn't scary to me anymore at this point like i found earlier day undertaker way more scary. in retrospect i do as well yes granted it was entertaining it was very inner definitely watching <laughs> Well, of course, before the match happens, um, at one point in Raw, The Undertaker says that he's going to announce who the higher power is, and he wants Stone Cold to see it. So he has the whole Ministry of Darkness there, The Undertaker's there, Stone Cold is sitting in fr- or standing in front of the ring, and the higher power is draped in a robe. Then all of a sudden, pulls down the hood of his robe, and of course you hear the infamous words, It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! <laughs> Yes, it was Vince McMahon controlling the Undertaker in the Ministry of Darkness all along. Yes. Just like Agatha, it was Vince all along. (laughs) (laughs) Capping off one of the worst endings (laughs) to a feud in the WWF Attitude Era. Yes. I mean, but at the same time, like, I mean, Vince truly is an evil man, so it kind of makes sense. It does make sense, but you didn't want it to be Vince. Yes. You wanted it to be someone that was more aesthetically evil than the Undertaker. Not someone yeah. who just is evil in real life like yes. Vince McMahon. Exactly, exactly. So I think that's a good place to end our uh, scary Halloween campy horror uh, moments in matches and groups in professional wrestling. Yes. If you are a professional wrestling fan, why don't you tell us some of your favorite scary moments? Yeah. It can be anything from the horror aspects to Sid Vicious viciously breaking his leg going yes. off the top rope. Yep. In, um, you think wrestling's fake? Just watch Sid Vicious breaks leg. Oof, yes. and that that will change your mind on if wrestling's real or not. No kidding. Or, or, or if you want to do a, a 22, 20, 2023 version of that, look up Darius Martin breaking his leg. Yeah, that's some scary, scary stuff as well. But yeah, let us know your favorite stuff down below in the comments. So we just got done talking about our scary Halloween camp or kind of stuff. And now it's time to talk about some more recent stuff. It is AEW All Out, which in all transparency, up until about 15 or 20 minutes before the show, we were discussing whether we wanted to actually get it or if we just wanted to replace
this a segment with why we weren't going to be getting the pay-per-view. Because for one, there was too much wrestling that was going on. Between All In, which was like five, six hours. Then you have Dynamite, which is two hours. Then you have Rampage, which is an hour. And then you have Collision, which is another two hours. And then All Out, it's being another five to six hours. That's entirely too much wrestling from one company in a span of a week. And don't forget the media scrums. Which, as we learned last year, could be the highlights of the entire <laughs> weekend. Yes. Although soon we'll be talking about why that might not be the case anymore. Yes. But also, too, the card was so substandard on paper. Mm-hmm. Like, AEW, especially in the beginning, had such notoriety for putting on so many great matches that you weren't going to see anywhere else. They weren't contrived. They felt like matches where anything could actually happen and anyone could win. And with All Out, it just felt like a complete and utter afterthought. Being so that the the men's lowest ranked title, the international title, was the main event of All Out. <laughs> and as we've learned from the media scrum, as watched it, falling asleep during it, yes. they are going to continue the tradition of having All In in London next year, and then All Out in Chicago the next one. It's ridiculous. It, it's too much. <laughs> well, and not only that, like, that's $100 you have to shell out to watch it in one week, and especially with the card like it was last night, like, it's not worth it. It wasn't a pay-per-view level lineup. No, it, at best, it was like TV. Yes. It was a full of a bunch of TV main events. Yes. And would you say you regret watching last night? <sighs> yeah, I mean, yes and no. Like, I, I, I was going into it hoping that something, like, big might happen, especially with news we're going to talk about pretty soon here. But in hindsight, it, it was TV level. It was TV level, so it was not worth it. No. Although I will say, hashtag for the content. Yes. <laughs> now, before we get into it, there's a notable face from Chicago that did not show up in All Out. Huh? A lot of people might have thought that he would show up for a hometown show. Yeah. And there was no reason to think he wouldn't because, you know, he's kind of heralded as one of the biggest names in AEW, at least at one point in time. Well, there was an altercation, if you listened last very show, where he got into a real fight with Jack Perry, yes. son of TV's Luke Perry. And after getting, throwing some punches, a chokehold, and actually lunging at billionaire Tony Khan, <laughs> there was a third-party investigation that took place. And after all of that, not seeing the fights and the altercations and everything that's happened over the past year and change, not getting lunged at by this particular person, but after a third-party investigation unanimous, unanimously told Tony Khan to do this very action, Phil Brooks, also known as CM Punk or Chick Magnet Punk, depending on how you want to pronounce it, is terminated from All Elite Wrestling as of Saturday after. Yes, and to follow up, I mean, Tony Khan did say that it ultimately was his decision in the end. I mean, as CEO of the company, his final call. He also uh, claimed that he, for the first time in his life at any wrestling match or wrestling event he'd ever been at, you're for his around CM Punk. Well, yeah, when you get lunged at by yeah. someone who lives the straight edge lifestyle. Right. <laughs> Which uh, I've talked about before. Uh, someone who's maniacal like that and sober is much scarier than someone who's like that and on uh, some kind of addiction. Yeah, for sure. Because they know exactly what they're doing. Oof, yeah. But anyways, yeah, all of this happened the day before the Chicago pay-per-view. And of course, CM Punk's from Chicago. Mm-hmm. So you would have thought, hey, Cocabana's going to be on All Out. <laughs> but of course, that did not happen. Sadly, no. But here is what we got in 13 quote-unquote matches. Uh, so first up, they had the over-budget charity battle royal on the pre-show. Um, so it was, it was kind of just like a lot of the blood, essentially. B-Squad. It was all the jobbers. Well, jobbers <laughs> and some it, some non, non-jobbers as well. Well, you got to make it look legitimate by having yeah, some non-jobbers exactly. in there. And the whole deal was whoever won was going to be able to pick a charity of their choosing and they were going to receive, I believe it was $5,000. Yes. 
Um, and Hangman Adam Page won, which was my prediction. The, the last one who was in the Battle Royal as well, too. Like, yes. he was the last one to come down. Um, this match, like, all Battle Royals are basically jobber Battle Royals. Royal Rumble, Battle Royal, they all are. Yeah, but they But they sprinkle in legitimate ones to make it feel like, who, oh, they might win, they might win, they might win. Yeah. And this match had every single trope that you see in Battle Royals. Oh, sure. Uh, hanging off the, the top rope after being thrown over the, a la Shawn Michaels in 95. Uh, and every other and Shawn Michaels match. match ever, ever since. <laughs> well, it started with Royal Rumble yes. 95 and then it happened there. Uh, people saving people from uh, being thrown over the top rope. Uh, catching people and then putting them back on the apron just for them to fall off immediately. Betrayals. All, mm-hmm. Everything that you can imagine in a Battle <laughs> Royal happened. Yeah, I love Battle Royals. They're one of my favorite type of matches because even if it's a lot of jobbers, it's still always just kind of fun and energy packed and stuff and in this case i'm really happy that hangman won because i feel like it was a kind of a um a nod to cm punk to like hey i'm still here and i'm winning <laughs> if you're not familiar uh cm punk hated hangman adam page yes <laughs> and you actually picked hangman to win the battle royal i did although it wasn't really that fair because we didn't pick on who was gonna win until we saw everyone who was a part of the battle royal because a we didn't know who was in the battle royal no. we didn't know this match was even happening and of course you just want with pick. Exactly. Whereas I decided to venture out and pick Dalton Castle <laughs> because he, he, I think he's due for a win. Yeah, totally. And I was wrong. <laughs> of course, he was the one who got caught by his men. They put him back on the apron. The boys. The boys. And he immediately fell off the apron as soon Sadly. as he was put back on there. <laughs> he is fun though. Up next, we had the six woman tag team match with uh, Sheeta, Willow Nightingale, and Sky Blue versus Athena, Mercedes, uh, Mercedes Martinez, and Diamante. And a very young 18-year-old Billy Starks. Uh, yes. Uh, for some reason, being Athena, which I'm not really seeing how they're terrible, but uh, yeah. regardless. Yeah. Um, th- this really felt thrown together out of nowhere. Yeah, it, it fe- did. It felt like, hey, we only had one women's match, so we got to have two women's matches for all outs. Absolutely. And all the AEW women standing in a row. And <laughs> it was fine. Yeah. I, I don't know. Sky Blue had to get the pin because she's from the Chicagoland area. Yeah. It, it was a throwaway match. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was fine. It was fine, but yeah, it was, yeah, it was a very odd mix of their, but whatever. Um, up next, there was the sick man tag team match for the AEW World Dios Championship. Uh, it was the acclaimed, uh, with Billy Gunn and then Dennis Rodman by their side, um, against Jeff Jarrett, uh, Singh and Jay Lethal. With Sanjay Dutz and Karen Jarrett as well. Of course, of course. Because you got to have people on both sides. <laughs> and the acclaimed and Billy Gunn won this one. Uh, of, of course they does. Uh, Jeff Jarrett doesn't win matches anymore. Like, I don't, I don't understand why he I understand why he works behind the scenes I don't understand why he's in the ring yes. and why do you have to drag Jay Lethal down with you yeah Ugh. but anyways and... was probably one of my least favorite matches yeah because of all the outside interference and Dennis Rodman just thrown in there for whatever reason because it's so against random. Chicago even though Dennis Rodman isn't even from Chicago but you know the Chicago Bulls thing yeah. uh, and of course a uh, best friend to Kim Jong-un yes. who they claim even reference in their rap yes. that they do in the beginning which I <laughs> was not expecting whatsoever. No. But basically what happened was Dennis Rodman hit Jeff Jarrett with the guitar. One, two, three. And why? Just <laughs> who is this for? Who asked for this? I and don't why? know. It was, it was definitely a bathroom break match. <laughs> and that's sad because this was the last match of the pre-show. This mm. wasn't even the full pay-per-view yet. This mm. was the matches you can get for free on YouTube exactly. or Facebook or whatever. Yeah. It's not going to draw you in. <laughs> 
But then came the real deal, the real yes. pay-per-view. Yeah, so the pay-per-view kicked off with a tag-team match for the Ring of Honor World Tag-Team Championship with Better You Than You Baby, Adam Cole and MJF, and they defeated the Dark Order, Alec Reynolds and John Silver with Uno by their side. Yes, and we haven't seen Dark Order in quite some time on it's TV. It's been a while, yeah. Turns out they've been on Ring of Honor this whole time and have become heel, which, Apparently. I, which I don't like. Yeah. But, uh, you know, regardless of all that, um, if you couldn't see who's going to win this match from a mile, away you've never watched wrestling <laughs> you haven't watched aew that programming is that is true uh yeah um we we both predicted that mjf and adam cole were gonna win this match absolutely although there was some brokeback mountain romance uh i can't quit you moments going on here because at one point mjf got injured in the neck area mm-hmm. then alex reynolds came up with a chair and hit him in the neck mm-hmm. taking him out of the match for quite a bit of time but then all of a sudden you hear well not really but just imagine what hurts it's the most <laughs> so close. Yes. MJF comes uh, struggling from the entranceway to get back into the ring and helps win the match with his kangaroo kick. And of course, the most deadly finisher this side of the spear, which is a football tackle, the double clothesline. <laughs> One, two, three. And they retain the titles. Yes. <laughs> Up next, we had a singles match for the Ring of Honor World Television Championship with Samoa Joe defeating Shane Taylor by submission. Now, before we actually get into the match, MJF was hanging out on the entranceway still with his injured neck, but Samoa Joe decided to come out while he was still there. Yes. And in what I can only imagine is a throwback to the old NXT days, Samoa Joe pushed MJF out of the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but MJF wasn't having any of that. He got so mad and so frustrated he went to the ring and they started to scuffle at each other <laughs> and that lasted almost as long as the match did yeah it was a quick match and i was really disappointed about because this was the match i was most looking forward to mm-hmm. i love shane taylor and ring of honor but he more well he did show his strength off a lot yeah but you knew samoa joe was gonna win yeah. even though you picked shane taylor to win this match i went on some uh went on some ledges just to kind of make our predictions a little interesting and it did not pan out for me no it did <laughs> <laughs> you failed tremendously yes. when it came to this. But yes, yeah, Mojo did his uh, finisher submission. So. <clears throat> so up next, we had a singles match for the AEW Championship <laughs> with Luchasaurus with Christian Cage by his side, defeating Darby Allen with Nick Wayne by his side. And if you're not following AEW, uh, Christian, Christian Cage, yes. uh, he is proclaiming himself to be the TNT champion, while Luchasaurus yes. is the one doing all of his matches for yes. him. And I was in the bathroom during most of this time, so you're pretty much gonna have to uh, tell me what happened it was fine Not a whole lot happened, honestly, that I remember. I mean, like, it was, a, it was a match. Okay, well, you picked Darby Allen to win. Yes. But Luchasaurus won. Yes. Which I honestly didn't see coming, even though I picked Luchasaurus. Yeah. Um, I, I thought for sure that Darby Allen was going to win, and then Christian was going to face Darby Allen and all yeah. that stuff, legitimately. Yeah. But no, that's not the direction they decided to go into. No. Instead, uh, I caught the tail end of this. They just started beating the crap out of Darby Allen at match. Yeah. And Nick Wayne was just there crying. Basically. Up next. Oh, what a night. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had a singles match with Miro defeating Powerhouse Hobbs. In what is now being referred to as the meat division. Yes. That is the super heavyweight yes. division. Uh, are they really going to call it? Division? I sure hope so. I hope they make a meat division title. For sure. For sure. Well, I mean, that, that comes with the territory. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yes, a big meat slapping meats as Miro, the former Rusev mm-hmm. or Alexander Rusev in WWE uh, with uh, Will Hobbs, Powerhouse Hobbs. And just, again, like I said, big meat slapping meats 
need for X amount of time. Now, at the end of this, there was a bit of a shocker. Uh, well, no, it was after the match, Dylan. Oh, sorry. I, I meant to say at the end of the yeah. match. I thought I did. Um, <laughs> at the end of the match, um, Miss Lana, well, formerly Lana, came out. CJ Perry. CJ Perry. Hot and flexible, as it said on the screen. Yes. And hit powerhouse Hobbs there. Very weakly. Very weakly. Um, It then led to a very awkward moment where Hero kind of gave her a look like, why are you here? And ended up getting out of the ring and leaving. Yes, I looked a little more into this uh, since we haven't been watching Collision. Yeah. Uh, You know his whole Redeemer character that's going on right now, yeah. right? Well, apparently at some point he renounced God. He had renounced his hot wife. He renounced everything oh. in his way of battling. Okay. So he was very, very confused on why CJ Perry would show up. Oh. And part of it might have been guilt, uh, feeling guilty that she came to help him. Yeah. Or it could be the cuck angle in WWE where she ends up with Powerhouse Hobbs and uh, Miro is forced to watch. Maybe. Who knows? We don't know what's going to happen there. But Stay tuned. Um, as of right now, she's not officially signed to AEW. Oh, but thank um, goodness. This is not the way to shake up the women's division. No, please don't sign her. Ugh. Um, <laughs> up <laughs> but in speaking next, of the women's division. Speaking of the women's division, up next, we had a match for the AEW TBS Championship with Chris Stantlander defeating Ruby Soho with Soraya by her, Soraya by her side. Yes, and I, we should go into this saying, during the meat on meat match, I made a joke about like, oh, what's going to happen? Is Miro's wife going to come out? <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> and then she came out after the match. Uh-huh, yep. Same thing happened here, where if you watched All Out, or if you listened to the show last week, you'll know that the outcast, which is Soraya, Ruby Soho, and Tony Storm, broke apart. Yes. But it turns out it was just Tony Storm leaving the outcast. And I made a joke like, oh, what's going to happen? Tony Storm's going to help Chris Statlander win? <laughs> and it happened. It happened. Uh, of course, uh, the outcasts are known for using green spray, uh, spray paint to uh, line their opponents, or they'd write a giant L on them after a match is done or whatever. Mm-hmm. Tony Storm and her Gone with the Wind uh, 1930s Hollywood gimmick that she's got going on now. <laughs> I really don't understand. Took the spray paint away from Ruby Soho, which distracted her to get Chris Statlander the win. I wanted this match good. I know. But the outside interference just ruined it for me again. Yeah. And it feels like Chris Statlander didn't even matter in this match. It was just more about the dissolving of the outcast, which is just going to lead to Tony Storm versus Soraya at some point. That's true. Or, Tony Storm and Mercedes Monet versus Soraya and and Ruby Soho. That could be. (sighs) So up next, we had no between Brian Danielson and Ricky Stark with Brian Daniels winning. Yes. And on commentary was Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Yes. At 70 years old, looking better than almost any professional wrestler of his era. Oh, Abby. I'm assuming it's clean living or something like that. But Yeah. yeah, he does not look 70. Yeah, he even got involved at one point, uh, took a hit, still kind of got well, up and uh, well, did his thing. Well, actually, last week, he took a beating from Rick Starks yes. with a strap. Yes. But, um, I'll be honest, we were both kind of checked out during this match. Yeah. We weren't really watching, but there was a lot of blood, a lot of welts. Um, after this match, Brian Danielson had a giant bandage on his head to, yeah. like, try to keep all the blood in. But, um, if you, if you like the old school blood, uh, strap matches from, like, NWA days, this was the match for you, and had it been someone other than Ricky Starks, I probably would have paid a little more attention. Probably. Highlight, they did use Final Countdown for Brian Daniels. Yeah, what again? Twice. Yes. Because he won the match and they also played it at the end. Yes. So I think that cost them about a million dollars.
dollars to right use about. that. Right about. There you go, Tony. Up next, we have the tag match with the Black Hole Combat Club, Claudio and Wheeler, uh, defeating Eddie Pinkton and uh, Shibata. Uh, again, a little bit behind the curtain here. We were watching this match, but the Metal Fairy and I like to have this thing that always happens with Eddie Pinkston. Yes. We, we haven't done this on the air yet. Maybe we will if some of you really want to hear this. But we'll what, see. But, but it's completely improv where yes. we go back and forth. One of us will be Eddie Kingston and the other one will be Eddie Kingston's ma. And <laughs> we, we just go back and forth about his wrestling career and how disappointed his his ma is with him. And He just he <laughs> seems like he has like, and I don't even know if he's from New York. I can't remember where he's he from. Is. But he just seems like he has that like full on New York personality and it just I can just envision him living with his mom and like kind of the relationship they have and it's just pretty funny. Yeah, it, it might not sound as funny with us describing it, but if we ever do the improv version of that, uh, you'll yes. understand what we're talking about. But yes. So we pretty much did that throughout most of the match. Essentially. But um, yeah, the right winners won this one with uh, Blackpool Combat Club and of course uh, your biggest crush in AEW, Wheeler as well. <sighs> we let you guess. Up next, we had uh, Keshta with Don Callis by his side defeating Kenny Omega. In the longest match of the pay-per-view, which yes. I was not expecting. Um, this had so many false finishes, few yeah. uh, counts, uh, attempts at betrayal once again. Yes. It had everything. Oh, yeah. And of course, the treasure that we don't deserve, Don Callis. Yes. He is so amazing. But to save everything out of the way, and instead of uh, counting every single pin or submission attempt, Don Callis was attempting to stab Kenny Omega with a screwdriver. Yes. He missed and went through the ring mat. Yes. And then he kept, he grabbed the screwdriver again, gave it to Takeshka, and while Kenny was about to do his finisher known as the one-winged angel, he was gonna hit Kenny with the screwdriver. The referee took it away, threw it out of the ring. Yes. Through that whole kerfluffle, everyone <laughs> got confused in the match. And, of course, Takeshka found a way to be able to win the match. Yes. And putting Kenny Omega out for good, question mark? Ooh. Yeah, I was not expecting that. I mean, I kind of always expect Kenny Omega to win a match if he's in it because he's just that good. But it was a good match, though, I would say. I mean, it was definitely one of the better of the night. I think. Maybe I, It was my favorite of the yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was good. And no, hold on, yeah. hold on. So before we continue on, uh, you told me after the pay-per-view is done, there's a, a, a little more that's going on with Don Callis. Yeah, so apparently he has a new t-shirt out that's going for some outrageous amount. Um, and according to Don, it is uh, going to have all proceeds going towards buying a, quote, new emotional support animal for Ibushi now that Kenny is out for the count. <laughs> oh, that that is just so, so... I know. <laughs> Again, we don't deserve Don Gallus. We don't deserve Don. <laughs> and now for probably my least favorite match yeah, so, of the entire night. Yeah, up next we have the eight-man tag team match with a bull cup gold, which is the worst pairing of people ever. Austin Gunn, Colton Gunn, Jay White, and Juice Robinson. You mean your main squeeze, Juice Robinson. Oh boy, we'll get into that. Um, and they defeated FDR, Cash Wheeler, and Dax Harwood and the Young Buck. Yeah, uh, first of all, I just want to say this is the worst thing that could happen to the Bullet Club is yes. Bullet Club Gold. Yes. Um, Bullet Club is one of the greatest, if not the greatest faction in professional wrestling, at least at one point in time. Yes. And the uh, caffeine-free Diet Coke version of the Bullet Club. The Bullet Diet Club Pepsi. Co- the Thank Diet you. Pepsi. Yes. The caffeine-free Diet Pepsi version of Bullet Club. Bullet Club Gold. <laughs> featuring Billy Gunn's sons, Austin and Colton, the former leader of the real Bullet Club, Jay White, mm-hmm. and dumpster diver Juice Robinson. <laughs> 
who, um, you know, why don't you just say it now what you think of Juice? Because I, it's going to be on our minds. Oh, he's just, just creeps me out. I don't know. He, uh, Good enough for Tony Storm. Uh, well, anyways, um, <laughs> basically the match was just basically nothing. Yeah. It was a, it was a big old nothing of a match. Yes. And the Bullet Club Gold won, which sucks because should I want this, because this faction should not exist. No, 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 no. Or at least, if nothing, well, 75% of Bullet Club Gold should not be. Exactly. Jay although, White is great. Although Juice makes an argument because he was in Bullet Club. Over yes. I, I get Juice, even though he is. Yeah. Um, but the, the Gun Brothers should not be. Oh, Rod and Todd. Rod and Todd. And finally, we had the AEW International Championship match with Don Moxley defeating Orange Cassidy. And as I put in the beginning of this, this is the lowest rank men's title in AEW. Yes. Being the main event. Yep. That goes to show you how little effort went into this pay-per-view. Uh-huh. It was all put into All In, not for All Out, which I think should have spaced it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But what are you going to do? Anyways, this was a big old bloody brawl as every Moxley match ends up. He just walks out to the ring and he starts. <laughs> <laughs> but it was Orange Cassidy that drew first blood in this one. Uh, he's the one who did most of this. Yeah, I, I think there was only real blood that came out of Moxley, not mm. uh, cutting himself open. But yeah, I wasn't really expecting Moxley to win, even though no. even though Orange Cassidy had like 30 wins or something like that. It was yeah. some, some kind of insane thing that ever since he was the first person to have the international title uh, after it was branded, which again, I need to bring up because international title, world title, those are the same thing. It's all the same thing. International and world are the same thing. <laughs> Why doesn't wrestling understand that? <laughs> Intercontinental, too, because it goes into different continents. Yes, yes. All but Antarctica, apparently, because I've never seen an Antarctic wrestler. But but I digress. <laughs> it, it felt like a very... Well, it was it was a good match. Yeah. It was a good yeah, match. It was. Uh, Moxley and Orange Cassidy are great wrestlers. Absolutely. But at the end, like, Orange Cassidy was pretty much, like, knocked out, lost, mm-hmm. and everyone was going, Thank you, Orange <laughs> and uh, that's how it ended. So does, does that mean Orange Cassidy's taking a break? Are they just thanking him for his run? Don't really know what's happening. Yeah, I mean, I definitely went into this one thinking Orange Cassidy should win because he hasn't had really like a victory against like a super hardcore guy like Don Mockley before. So I think that could have really like pushed him into like kind of showing a different side of him. But I definitely got the impression that he kind of needs some time off now. And especially when uh, in the media scrum, Chris there was talking about Orange Cassidy a little bit. Um, It just, it just sounded like he's kind of probably maybe not officially injured, but injured enough that he needs some time to kind of recover and recoup. And to be fair, I mean, he's been wrestling every single week. He pretty much take off every single dynamite. So it's understandable that he needs time to rejoin. Yeah, if you have to do that many title defenses in under a year, yeah. like 30-some, and you know, there's only 50 weeks in a year, that's insane. It is. So it is. You gotta admire that work ethic. And I really see Orange Cassidy, AEW World Champ. I, f- I would But overall, two matches I would have wanted to see in a pay-per-view. Yeah, yeah. The, the rest, just no. Yeah, I, I don't mean, know if it was the worst AEW pay-per-view but there's an argument that it- yeah i mean it was it was fine but just it, it wasn't a caliber did you watch all out uh, did you watch all in are you one of those crazy people who thought all out was better than all in are you one of those people who's booing anybody who was against cm punk it was red red hair and straight edge <laughs> let us know in the comments down below of- so up next we got some video game talk so first of all i know you ran into a little bit of a snag this week with rest quest Yes, I was enjoying WrestleQuest so very, very much. 
I had like over 20 hours into it. I love the characters. I, it actually made me start to appreciate turn-based combat a little bit more, yeah. like the strategy. I'm not a turn-based guy, but it made me think about things a little bit differently. So I appreciate a little bit of a different challenge when it comes into games. Yeah. Then my PS5 updated, WrestleQuest updated, and I lost all of my progress. <laughs> now, before you talk crap, it was saved on both of the PS5 and in the cloud. Both of them were deleted. <laughs> Which really, really sucks and put me in a really sad mood after yeah. that. So after that, I just went like, all right, well, I guess I'm just going to restart uh, Far Cry 6 again. I'll play a new game plus and yeah. just continue on from there and just yeah. see what happens till the next game I get. Exactly. And that next time came a couple days later. Yes. On Thursday, started seeing reports that if you have Xbox Game Pass, which we have, mm -hmm. and if you pay $35 for a premium upgrade, you could play Starfield at 7 p.m. Thursday night, our time. Yes. Five days early. Ooh. So I believe the game officially comes out tomorrow as we're recording this. Yes, on this. the 6th. Yes. So knowing this, it got me very excited and wanting to play it. And it's mm. funny because on the show I've mentioned before, it's like, oh, I'm not going to get the premium edition. I've waited this long. What's another five days? Yeah. But we talked about it. Yeah. And we decided, why not? Well, we waited this long for it and been excited this long for it. And like, obviously we didn't want to spend like $100 on a premium edition for like PlayStation. But if we're already getting the base well, well, game. Well, it's not on PlayStation. It's an Xbox exclusive. Oh, sorry. I forget. We wouldn't want to spend that much on the game, period. But since we're already getting the base free and the um, premium edition, which actually will provide some extra content for us. Down the road, but yes, yes it will. It was only $30. $30 isn't that bad to spend on a full-on premium game, essentially. Yeah. And, of course, Game Pass helps. And you could also look at that in the contrarian way. It's like, well, you didn't pay 100 bucks. You're paying 15 bucks a month to keep playing that game. Along with a lot of other, other games, games, too. As well. So, you know, that... <laughs> That doesn't really hold weight and water, but no. um, if you're not familiar with Starfield, it's essentially the Elder Scrolls Skyrim or Fallout in space. Mm -hmm. It's an entire universe with a thousand different planets, and I've already seen so many different types of things. I've seen yeah. like a cyberpunk universe. I've seen barren winter wastelands. I've <laughs> seen Earth-style planets. Mm -hmm. uh, been to the moon, our moon, our real moon. <laughs> there, there's so many cool little Easter eggs and yes before you ask there is cheese and there is sweet rolls in the game Woo! so that continues the tradition yes most important thing now i've gotten almost 24 hours into the game if not more yeah. now yeah w what has been your impressions from the little bit that you've seen of me playing starfield so far i think it looks fun like i mean i think some of the mechanics i would need to get my hands on firsthand to kind of learn stuff like as far as traveling to different planets and all that kind of stuff but it seems so, so like big and so many different things you can do. I mean, just from the couple planets I've seen, they're very diverse and it, it, it's like No Man's Sky, but like good and like Skyrim based oh, stuff. Whoa. For all intents and purposes, No Man's Sky might actually be a lot better now since they've put be. a, a lot of yeah. huge updates and everything. Yes. I just haven't uh, gone back and played it yet, even yeah. though I have it. Well, yeah. I mean, my knowledge of it is from the very beginning when you go to a planet and it's like Nothing's just there. the ground. Yes. <laughs> but like these are like full on, like at least some of the ones I've seen, like inhabited places with buildings and civilizations and all that stuff. And like, 
Um, I, I played it myself just for like maybe five minutes one day when you uh, ran to the bathroom and like, it's fun. It's fun. Like I can definitely see myself getting into it at some point. So it, it sounds like a good time. Now I know you don't want to play on the TV because you know, it's like you can get the uh, queasy. While yeah. Doing. At least it, not our big TV. Yeah. Do you see yourself like, I don't know, maybe getting a, a used Xbox Series S or finding something that has Game Pass app on it to be able yeah. to play it? Like, do, do you find some way to be able to play this in the future? I mean, I want to. I, I guess I haven't really decided which way I want to go. If if I get a handheld, I want like an official, not like some third party weird thing that I don't know how long it's going to last and stuff. Because if I'm spending money on it, I want to be protected in my purchase. So we will see about that. But at some point I will play it somehow, some way. And I really hope you do because uh, once you get over the learning curve, it just becomes so much fun and it really does become Fallout or Skyrim in space. Yeah. And for a lot of people who didn't get the upgrade and stuff, it's uh, coming out tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Or uh, today, if you're checking this out, since uh, most people will probably hear this on Tuesday, you should check this thing out because it is a lot of fun. And if you love the Bethesda games, if you love the Bethesda jank with all the bugs (laughs) and glitches, it's not as prominent, but when Mm -hmm. it's there, it is funny. Mm -hmm. It is a lot more stable than a lot of the other games that have happened. Uh, Microsoft really uh, helped flip the bill on this game to make sure that it runs a lot better than it used to. Yeah. And I imagine that there's going to be some big old patch that's going to happen when it's officially released. Yeah. And I think it's going to run even better than the, uh, what I'm currently experiencing right now. Yeah. And potential game of the year for definitely, me. Definitely. Although there's a lot of cool games that's going to be coming out in September and October, which oh, yeah. uh, we'll get to as they come. But for right now... I am fully, utterly engaged into Starfield. Yeah, so before we wrap up our gaming section, there was a little bit of news on the Saints Row uh, Volition front. Yeah, this breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. As one of the lone defenders of Saints Row 2022, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, Vol- Volition Games and Deep Silver are no more. Mm-hmm. Uh, due to... Uh, so many things that happened with their higher-up company and deals falling through and stuff like that. Also, the poor critical reception of Saints Row and not selling enough of Saints Row. Both companies are now no more. Mm. Which is really sad because they didn't just do the Saints Row games. They did so many other great yeah. games, but I'll always know them for Saints Row. Mm-hmm. I love all of the Saints Row games, including yeah. 2022. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people had a problem with it story-wise and stuff like that. And I see the issue. For me, I just had so much fun playing it. Yeah. They had a nuclear blast radio station. <laughs> and uh, granted, there was only like 10 songs on there. so yeah. But, you know, like hearing In Flames Cloud Connected as y- you have a little flying suit. And I was told <laughs> that I could fly. It just matched so perfectly together. Exactly. The open world was cool to go through. That's... Um, Southwest, uh, Arizona, Texas, New Mexico area. I thought it was really fun. I mean, I mean, you never played it, but you watched me play it. What did you think of Saints Row 2022? Yeah, I thought it seemed like fun too. I mean, I think what was it? What were the previous one? Three and four? Or yeah, three and four. At four will probably always be my favorite. The just completely off the wall craziness. <laughs> but um, it, it seems like fun to me. I don't know. I I think I'd enjoy it if I actually did play it at some point. So yeah. well, we have it. So yes. <laughs> whenever you want to. But um, along with that. You actually love the Saints Row series, at least three and four. Yes. 
and I got you into that, and mm-hmm. uh, you were kind of apprehensive a little bit yeah. in the beginning, but um, once you saw the penetrator, <laughs> you were sold. It's just <laughs> such an off-the-wall weapon. It's hilarious. <laughs> I just love how you can kill someone with it, but it's so floppy. Yes. <laughs> if you can't figure out what we're talking about by now... Play the game. Play, play the, the game. game. Yeah. But um, Deep Silver and Volition, you will be missed because you created some of my favorite games in video game history. Absolutely. Well, to close the show, we got a little bit of music talk here. You had an interview this week earlier with uh, Dino Cazares from Fear Factory. Yes. uh, My third time talking to him in like a year and change. Yeah. Because uh, we talked about uh, the latest studio Fear Factory. We talked about uh, the remix albums. And this time we talked about another remix album, which uh, instead of fake drums on on the album uh, uh, on Industrialized there's now real drums on Reindustrialized uh, we also talked about their upcoming touring with Lacuna Coil and Butcher mm-hmm. Babies and yes. a bunch of stuff that's going on there so this one threw us both for a loop um, <laughs> because uh, due to some things at times weren't right Yeah. so uh, he came on later than I thought, and then it ended up being later than all of that. So we were both <laughs> kind of out of the loop, but I think it added to the charm of the interview. Yeah, so you guys came together. Yeah, we were both kind of lost for words, and we were having fun with each other, like trying to pronounce my last name, Runquist. But, <laughs> yes. Uh, you, you know, there was just a lot of fun stuff that was going on in there. So I, if you want a non-clickbaity Fear Factory interview, which there's plenty of lately oh, yes. with the clickbait Fear Factory. I think you should check that out. Absolutely. And then I just want to bring it up again because, uh, again, with um, Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, yes. uh, I did want to bring up again my interview with uh, Vikram Shankar of Silent Skies and Redemption. Absolutely. And, of course, uh, Silent Skies Studios, which, uh, if you check out the interview, I didn't realize that he did the music for Evil Dead the Game. Yeah. Which is so cool. That is. And, uh, of course, uh, he's got some other projects that he can't talk about right now. And, uh, but uh, you should check out that interview. And at the very end, we talk about mental health stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's how we first connected in the first place, is that we both really struggle with mental health. Yeah. And it was great to be able to like uh, get his insights with all that he's able to accomplish with all of the bands and artists that he works with. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Silent Sky Studios. And still battling mental health, showing that yeah. anyone can be affected. Absolutely. So I didn't check out a ton of new music this week, but you did turn me on to a new band um, new to me anyways, Lord of Shadows. Y- yes. Uh, Aaron Stainthorpe has been putting his name all over the doom metal scene lately, yeah. whether he's doing his spoken word, whether he's doing his cleans or his growls. Mm-hmm. And he is lending his guest vocals once again. And the original female vocals of Draconian mm-hmm. is also a part of this. So they're basically duetting with each other throughout the yeah. entire album. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't gathered by this, uh, Aaron Stanthorpe is uh, the the main songwriter of My Dying Bride. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Draconian, that is both in the gothic doom territory. So this yeah. album is full of gothic doom. Yes. As you're not a fan of doom, but you like gothic doom. <laughs> yes. Uh, what did you think of this song? Yeah, I'm not a straight-up doom person at all, but when you add the right gothic tinge to it, it can be right up my alley. I, I love Draconian. Um, in this case, like it just has that perfect dark kind of gothy love letter vibe to it. Like their voices together just give it such like a dark kind of romantic kind of feel to it. And of course, I love her voice from Draconian, and I'm, I I've never really gotten into My Dying Bride, but um, 
think. Will, will you now? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see where we go. <laughs> That's not a straight up no. It's I'll not take straight it. up no. But yeah, they they do some really beautiful stuff here, and the lyrics are really deep too. So it's it's good stuff. Uh, but one more album that uh, we did check out, which officially came out back on Friday, is the brand new album from Eclipse, Megalomanium, and. What is your thoughts on this album? Uh, be a little bit later into Eclipse, but still enjoying Eclipse nonetheless. Yeah, I think we might have mentioned Eclipse on a previous episode. I can't remember in what context, but um, they're just such a good, just straight up rock band. They're what rock should be right now. They are very radio friendly, even though they're not on radio around here, obviously. But um, they're just they amazing. They're amazing. Yeah. Yeah, um, I remember we were talking about looking forward to the album. Yes. And because you're with me, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, uh, you got to hear the album a little bit early before it came out. I did. Yeah, uh, I. this is probably the most diverse Eclipse album. Yeah, um, that's Sometimes fair. they focus a little more on pop. Sometimes they focus a little more on hard rock and metal. Mm-hmm. This had a little bit of everything. It felt, there was like My Chemical Romance kind of riffs <laughs> going on in one song. There was yeah. like some almost real heavy metal moments that were going on and beautiful ballads in between just a little bit of everything like everything that i love about eclipse is on this album yes and i've seen some people say it's their weakest album i think you're wrong yeah yeah no i i mean i don't know where i would stand in like placement against the others but i really enjoy it so absolutely and with uh the most hope that i can possibly give i hope this ties us over until the next nordic union album yes Oh, I sure hope so. And I think with that, I think we're at going to hit the old dusty trail here. Uh, yeah. This show has gone on much longer than <laughs> either of us expected. I mean, we really got caught up in the uh, the horror wrestling stuff. Yeah. But it's just fun going back and forth with that with each other. I exactly. hope you're enjoying that on our side or on your side, uh, listening to us talk about it. And yes. Of course, if you like the show, didn't like the show, got any ideas for the show, anything, no. mm-hmm. let us know in the comments. Comments wherever you're checking this out, uh, be it Spotify, be it YouTube, any place that has comments, or you can hit us up on social media, yes. on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and the YouTube, mm-hmm. all under the name Heavy Debriefings. Yes. Or if you want to just check out everything Heavy Debriefings, go ahead and check out heavydebriefings.weebly.com because I'm not paying half a grand a year for no. the full name. <laughs> but until next week with more of the... Heavy Debriefing Spooktacular. (laughs) Still need to come up with a better name, although we're probably not going to. (laughs) I can't wait to see what you have for next week. It's going to be a fun time. Yes. But as we venture more into the spooky or spoopy season, as uh, people like to call it nowadays, for the Metal Fairy, this is Josh Ronquist saying, see ya.